don't want to get hurt in it because you'll be really suffering. You know, you won't get the help you need. It's like they, they don't treat, they treat you like an animal. I'm Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, founder of Grapevine Health and your host of the Grapevine Health Podcast, a podcast highlighting stories, health insights, and experiences of community members. We started this podcast because too often discussions and decision-making about health and the healthcare system don't include perspectives from the people we serve. So listeners, if you have a personal story or an experience from working in the community or on the front lines of healthcare, contact us and we might have you on the show. This week, I'm talking to Joe Houston Jr., a returning citizen who explains why it took him seven years to have his knee injury repaired. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I know we have a lot to learn from you. Before we start, though, can you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? My name is Joe Houston Jr. Everybody calls me JoJo. Um, I wear plenty of hats. I'm a community activist, um, health and wellness coach, uh, you know, everything. I do a lot. Superhero of the community. (laughs) That's great. Well, as you know, the reason I wanted to talk to you today is because you are a returning citizen. And I think we need to do a better job understanding the health needs, the health and mental wellness needs of returning citizens. And I think you have some suggestions for us. But first, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about your time in prison and what was it like trying to get help when it came to your health? Well, my time in prison, it was it was pretty rough. You know what I'm saying? Being a 16 years old, being 16, year, 16 years old, incarcerated um, for five years is tough. You know what I'm saying? It was a lot of time. Um, I remember back in 2000, 11 I tore my ACL in the gym and I didn't know I tore my ACL and I had a meniscus tear as well I didn't know what that was but I just knew that my knee was unstable so I just kept injuring it and injuring it so one day they took me I got hurt in the gym um they took me to Howard they trained when I was over DC jail they transported me to Howard University Hospital um 16 I wasn't 17 yet I was still 16 16 year old boy you know they got guns put drawn on me and they take me to Howard University to become um the correctional office and the doctor I remember my leg just got it went from one place to the other it was just like dislocated and I didn't know what it was but they didn't do no MRI they, soon when it just went back into place the doctor was like okay he's good get him out of here but they never once wanted to do no MRI they didn't even when I went to the feds, it was just the the, ser- the service there in regards to people that's incarcerated is horrible. Say more. Why is it horrible? Um, it's horrible because they don't. If you get hurt or anything like that, you're really gonna have to wait until you release. They don't really take care of inmates in there. Like if you get a, you know, you you like my leg, I, I felt very vulnerable at times. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people didn't know it's mentally. I had to. I adapted so much relying on my other leg at times. Like I still was playing sports until I knew like certain things I can do, certain ways I can go about things. I got mentally stronger in that to know, but you will be hurt. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to get hurt in it because you'll be really suffering. You know, you won't get the help you need. It's like, they they don't treat, they treat you like an animal. To be honest, they treat you like an animal. No, I can say this. They treat you worse than an animal because the animal probably get better treatment or maybe can get surgery 
in a situation like that. Us, on the other hand, I when I found out when I got to prison, you know, through the RG3s and learning, okay, dang, this is what I might get. What What do you mean the, through the RG3s? What does that mean? Um, How I knew back in 2012, a year later when I seen RG3, when he got for the former known as Washington Redskins, but now Washington football team, when he tore his ACL, his knee, his knee ligaments was unstable when he was playing football. That's how I knew what problem I had. And then by certain, yeah, certain correctional officers said something to me like, you might get, you might have torn some ligaments, Joe. And I was like, wow. So that's how I knew, but they never once gave me no MRIs or nothing. Even when I got to prison, when I got transported from the jail to prison, I went to the doctor, the medical, what they call medical, and I said, hey, I tore my ACL and I'm trying to get surgery. And they gave me all types of high saying you it's not realistic for you to get the surgery down here. So it was just crazy. Wow. So did you eventually get the surgery? And how did that happen? Yes. Well, hold on, 11, 12. Yeah, literally almost seven years later when I came home. I came home in 2014. Um, and uh, the, the injury actually happened in 2009 or 2010. It happened in 2009, I believe. And when I came home in 2014, I got the surgery in 2017. You know what I'm saying? Because I was working, you know, getting a job, going through the halfway house. So I'm just trying to make a living. I'm not really doing no athletic things, but it's still messing with me because of being like, I could walk down the street and it just might shift. My knee might just just shift. So I got the surgery literally like almost seven, seven years later. Wow. And how did you manage to get the surgery once you got out? What What happened? Um, insurance, you know, saying going through my doc, you know, having insurance through the job and things like that, and took full advantage when I went to my primary care doctor. Was like, hey, look, you know, I need an MRI on my knee, and they sent it, and he was like, wow, it's like the cartilage is gone, and, and it's like it's on, it's on gristle, it's on bone to bone, and there's no ligaments. And he was like, yeah, it's real bad, but he was just let me know, you know, when you get older, we can do fully, um, recover your knee, but when you get older, you might have arthritis in your knee or things like that. So I was like. I just need the surgery because I still want to play sports and I just, I'm young. You know, I want to do a lot of things like that. So, you know, the surgery was a a, a big success. Thank God. But mm-hmm. finally, I got the surgery. You know. So if you were in charge of the health system in jails and prisons, what would you do? Wow. If I, if I was, I would have, I honestly would have take care of the people. Like we're, we're, we're still human. We're, we're human beings. So you got to make sure you're taking care of the people that's incarcerated, you know what I'm saying? They treat us like, you know, they treat us like we're, they, they treat us like we're nothing, like basically slaves. You know, you are, honestly, you are a slave. Um, I will make the healthcare way better in there for the inmates. Like, I think, do I got to be waiting till I'm dying? I honestly have a severe injury that's hindering me from doing certain things and putting me in this harsh environment, like a very vulnerable, I feel vulnerable, even though I'm out. I'm physically strong. I'm building up my upper body and still doing workouts and things like that. But I'm getting in a fight or things like that. It was times when I got in a fight, my knee shifted. You know what I'm saying? My knee shifted. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, I still did what I had to do. But it's times that I got in a scuffle and my knee shifted. And it was, like, scary. Like, man, I'm glad they didn't know because that could have, like, <laughs> they could have kicked me in the knee or anything at that time. And I could have went down. So, wow. Not for a fight thing, but. I would just do it just because it's only the right thing to do. Like if, if I got it, if I'm injured, you should take care of me. It's just common sense. If I'm, if I'm hurt, if I'm telling you that this is really giving me issues and it's my knee is unstable as a human being, you should, 
want to, you should want to have a heart to take care of me, not because the money, your inmates, you beneath me. That's, that's how it is in prison. And have you talked to a lot of people who've been in prison and do they have similar experiences with healthcare or what are, how are people talking about healthcare in prison? I'm, I'm confident. Like I talked to numerous other people when I was incarcerated, they saying how they didn't treat me. They didn't give me what I needed and things like this. And I had to go to the, I ended up going to hospital and I knew certain people that was dying in jail, you know, having certain underlying health issues and they died in a cell. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's really crazy. It's really crazy. It's sad, but it, it's sad, but it's true. Like one of my cellies actually that he died. Like one of my cellies, he older guy, man, cool guy. And I honestly forgot I had over a billion cellies, but I remember this old guy because he was a, a dope fan. You know what I'm saying? He was a dope fan. He used to do dope in the cell. I, like I mind my business long as he ain't doing that crazy in the cell. And he was an old cool guy. And, you know, he died from some underlying health issues. They try to last minute. They try to transport him to a mental medical. I mean, sorry, medical institute, um, and he died. Man, literally died himself. I heard when we got the letter, it was like he died. I was like, oh my gosh, like it's a bitch where I'm like, it's, it's crazy, dog. I honestly, when I got home, I was trying to find ways if I could have sued them or anything like that over DC jail, and I was trying to look into it, but I'm like, it might be too late, but. Um, yeah, they they treated me. I'm a kid, and, I, and you, that that should have been done. You didn't give me one MRI. I'm a 16 year old boy, and you didn't. At least like, okay, let's help the kid out. I had to wait until literally what, 24, 23 to come get surgery. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, what sort of mental health services are available for inmates? They got, of course, you know, therapists there and all types of different psychologists. And you say you got mental issues, but now it's like a crowd with things because if, if we on lockdown, dog, um, you have several um, inmates might be like, man, I feel like I'm about to commit suicide or I'm about to kill myself or anything like that or over-exaggerate. They think they plan and be like, go ahead, the CEO's mind, go ahead and hang yourself. But if you real life in there, stop yourself with things like that, that's when they try to take it serious. Not saying they don't take somebody saying they're going to kill themselves serious, but if you keep crying with and they know you want to just get out the cell to get fresh air, or you keep yelling, hey, I want to go to medical. I can't breathe. They just know you want to get out the cell. They're going to start just ignoring you. But they do got they, they do got help in there. But a lot of things, a lot of time, I'm not saying it's not, it don't work or whatever like that. But in an environment like that, I I, I had a little debate with one of the little uh, therapists, like, a lot of stuff you telling us, you you never been through. Like, you know what I'm saying? You never, how is you want to tell me you're an expert? Prime example, it was a rehab, you, you, a certain classes you got to take before getting released, like drug re rehabilitations and things like that. This lady was telling us about drugs and what it can do to us. She never did it. So I asked her in class, she was so embarrassed. It was a, it was a white lady. She was so embarrassed. I said, so what type of drugs are you, you telling me you're doing? Like regular pills and like little like pain medicine. You haven't smoked no weed. You haven't done no ecstasy pill. You're going to tell us, like, I know you know the science behind it, and that's great. You, you decide, I'm, I'm not telling, we do need people like you in the world, but you can't tell me, like, you're a real expert and you're experienced because you, when you're speaking from experience, that's to bring the connectivity to the individual. So, you know, you know, I'm, I'm that type of individual. If I hear people talking about it a lot, but they really didn't have that experience, I'm going to call it out. It's an ups and downs. It's a pros and cons. Yes, jail definitely have a lot of, therapists and stuff like that program and stuff like that mm -hmm. 
Wow, that's such a good, that's a good observation. Back to the solutions for improving healthcare in prison. Thinking about what you might do. And that might be a solution too. Ensuring the people who are teaching and providing services know what it's like to be on the other side. I mean, it's worth considering. But what else would you do to make it better? You know, you know, Doug, it's hard for me to really like if I, you know, if I had the power or and, 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 I'm, and I'm glad you, you know, you bring me on this podcast for this because it makes me think, you know, I'm in the health and wellness field and what I suffered, what I went through, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Because I really truly feel vulnerable. But in there, I have to be an animal. But I, I really feel vulnerable in states of my, my vulnerability in regards to my needs. So uh, I will make, if, if I can, I will. I will make change in regards to making sure people, if they need MRI, if people really having issues, I will take that in consideration. Like, I would do my best. I will make sure I clean up shop. If I had the ability to do it, I will make sure I cater to those that's in need of help. Like, seriously, like, if you need help or if you got any type of issues, and I know that I won't use it just to try to save money with a private business or anything like that and try to, that's all that the goal. They, they, want, they don't want to spend money on us. They make yeah. it so money office but they don't want to spend money on so um i will make sure people really get the the, the health care that they actually need and incarcerated or not incarcerated but definitely incarcerated because you're still a human being no matter what you're still a slave under the 13th amendment but you still need health care we are human beings mm-hmm. so what about health care on the outside what kind of services and supports were available to you and what was missing when I came home, you know, I was, I really didn't understand. Like, let me, let me be honest. Like I was 16. I didn't really understand. I was, to be honest, dog, I was scared when I came home, you know, going in as a little kid and coming home 21 years old, a grown, a grown man, still a young man, but a grown man. I didn't know. I just went the whole village. I was in the process. I was just trying to do the standard where everybody else was trying to do like, okay, go to the DMV, get your ID, make sure you get your social, make sure you get your birth certificate. Now that I had to make sure I applied for um, health insurance, I went to some little thing on, on Pennsylvania, right there off my Penn Ave or um, Alabama Avenue. I, I think it's still right there, a little health care um, right there in Ward 7. Uh, I, I went down there to the little building and I applied for insurance and they gave me um, Medicaid. I still didn't really understand. I'm still like a little, I got more acknowledged about, you know, health care now, but I really didn't understand. I was just like, okay, I guess I need to go get insurance, you know what I'm saying, before I can, because my mind was willing to get my knee done. I wanted to get my knee done, and I did, but they were saying they couldn't. At that time, when I got the insurance, I forgot it was, I've been home next month to make, next month to make six years, next month to make seven years I've been home. Next month to make seven years I've been home. So when I got home, I was trying to get get insurance before I can get my knee done, but they was telling me it's going to be, $15,000 $15,000 and all that's spending me around with in regards to my Medicaid issue. So um, it was, it was like tough, but I did have like a primary doctor and things like that. I went to see, but they told me it was going to be costly for me to get um, my surgery. So you didn't have a navigator or someone to yeah, I didn't. hand and help you figure all this out when you got released? Yeah, yeah, I didn't, to be honest. And I, that's a great question. I didn't. That, to look back at it as a man coming home, I didn't understand. I just, you, at, at Hope Village, they give you stuff. They give you a pass. Need you to go here. Huh? All right, what is Hope Village? 
Hope Village is a um, was a halfway house, a former halfway house. They've been there for years in Southeast. Um, you know, you could call it, a, you know, a, a group home or whatever, a halfway house where inmates is coming home from long time or even if they're coming from D.C. jail and they got to go to the halfway house for a certain amount of time. It was a horrible place, man. You know, I felt my life was in jeopardy there. You know, a lot of violence, people getting shot outside in front of the halfway house because they did certain things to certain people, family members. It was a scary, it's another scary environment. To be honest, we definitely need a uh, uh, another house, a halfway house in, in D.C., but I'm glad they specifically shut whole village down. I think it was just a lot of bad energy in that facility, and I'm glad that that shut down, but we definitely need another home for people coming home because people definitely want to come home. So when you lease, you have to go to a halfway house, or is there uh, or can it is you go? Option. It is an option because um, Doc, it is an option. You can either do your time straight out, do the rest of your time straight out, or if you want to make an um, early release, like, okay, your case manager incarcerated, she was like, well, you know, we, we about to pitch your halfway package in. <clears throat> you can refuse it and be like, no, I just want to go to my, my full extent time. I want to do the extra six months and just come straight home. Mm. I'm getting out of it. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting out of this. So, like, I, I'm getting out. And majority, you do got some older dudes that probably went to Lorton and stuff like that. They're like, no, nah, I'm doing my time straight out. I, if it's six months, I'm going straight to the door. But I wanted to come home early as possible. So I had a total of five months halfway house. So I came. I came home five months earlier, and um, that's that's how I went. But it was, it was. I'm glad they shut that place down. So, think back to when you were released and all these medical issues you had. You mentioned this; it's confusing. It's hard to know what to do. What kind of system needs to be in place to help people navigate healthcare when they get released from prison? I think it should definitely have like a now instead of just giving like in regards to the re-entry housing, giving somebody a pass, telling them uh, and having a list of certain things they need to get in order to get back, get out the halfway house. Because it's like a checklist. You got to make sure you get your license, the desk, your insurance. Um, have a navigator, somebody to maybe to assist that person. You know what I'm saying? They do have case managers um, at the, these re-entry um, houses. You do got a case manager, but they, it really, I've rarely seen my case manager. The person that was responsible, I really, it's just, here, here go your pass. Because you want to get out the halfway house. You want to get a reason like, hey, I need to go here. I'm trying to apply for UDC or anything like that. You're just trying to get out where you can venture and have fun and do things like that. But I think the case manager or whoever or navigator need to be more engaged with the individual, uh, with the returning citizen coming back to society before they can accomplish what they really need or have, and have an understanding. Because I didn't really know. I know of health insurance, but I didn't understand it. Like, I didn't understand all the benefits and certain packages and things like that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joe. This has been amazing. And I know a lot of people will learn a lot from you and from your example. So appreciate everything you're doing and for your honesty and sharing on the podcast today. Right. Thank you so much, Dr. Lisa. That was Joe Houston Jr., community activist and returning citizen, giving his perspectives on how we can improve health resources and health care for returning citizens.
Thanks for listening to the Grapevine Health Podcast. Our producer is Nicholas Elias. Please like us on social media. You can find us at Grapevine Health on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Health Grapevine. Until next time, I'm Dr. Lisa, signing off.